back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hyper-sexualized times. And today, we have a special guest from the land of Montreal, Canada. And this is Rafaela Diaz Byers, and she's super cool. She was introduced to us by our dear friend Pierre because she's also on the front line. Not only is she on the front line, she drew that front line, literally on the front line of Pornhub's headquarters, MindGeek in Montreal, Canada. So this is such a great case study of when she discovered how horrendous what Pornhub was doing in terms of uploading endless content of people being raped, of minors having sex, like little kids, and all that was on Pornhub. They were doing nothing to help these people reclaim their dignity by removing this unconsensual content from their website. They were not only not removing it, they continued to make a lot of money from these videos. And when she found this out, she had to do something. Now again, let this be a lesson to us all who feel like, oh, I'm just a little old nothing. I can't make any change. Guess what? She helped to take some really big swings at this giant conglomerate and it actually made a big impact in the trajectory of how they do business and this is just the tip of the iceberg so let this be a cautionary tale to all evildoers out there that we little people know how big we really are second point please understand that Pornhub hates people it will do anything to make profit, including abuse children and exploit that abuse for their own profit. So the more that you give it your attention, the more you're feeding this machine. So without further ado, let's get into this great conversation I had with a great woman, Rafaela. I got the questions. I was looking at them last night again, and I think there's a lot of good ammunition for a great conversation. Especially, I'd love to do a deep dive into the workings of MindGeek because you seem to have a bit of an intimate relationship with them. Spent a lot of time on their property. I'm guessing you know a bunch. I only know that they are like the parent company of Pornhub. That's all I know. Mm. Do you have more stuff to talk about? Yeah, I mean, things are always changing. And I feel like the stuff that everybody knew or the, the stuff that was at least accessible to people is probably stuff from around 2020, 2021. We don't 100% know what's going on right now. But yeah, I definitely know more and why this whole movement to kind of shut them down is happening as well. It's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, then let's just get into it. Welcome. This is Rafaela Diaz Byers, Bayers, Bayers. How do you say it? Byers. Byers, Byers, yeah. Byers. And we met through Pierre. I think we've spoken before. I don't know. Do you remember? Didn't I make you a video or something in the past? Okay, that's how I know you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was like a year ago or something. Something like that. In this day and age, it's hard to tell. So nice to see you officially. Yeah. And yeah. Pierre is on the front line and he's actually sending me quite a few people because he's always mixing it up with really cool people. So he's like a guaranteed yes. If he's like, I've got this person. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. Sure. So you are pre-checked. And the reason he knows you is because of protests. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Outside of MindGeek. And you're the author of these protests, are you not? Yes, I started them. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
please tell me about this. Like, where did it come from? Where are you protesting? What's going on? Give us the scoop. Yeah, I met Pierre like a few years ago at the first protest that I attended. So basically, it all starts back in 2020 when stories started coming out about MindGeek, this company, this parent company that owns many online pornography sites globally, but also distribution, production companies. So they're kind of like this monster giant in the industry. And to be honest, I knew that people sort of did these protests and there were things going on around Canada and North America about sexual exploitation. But I was kind of removed from it and I was like, yeah, this matters, but I guess it wasn't, I hadn't heard personal stories or it wasn't particularly affecting me. And it wasn't until a friend of mine actually sat me down and we were having a conversation and he started telling me what was happening and what MindGeek were doing. And it really hard as a woman and also that it was happening their headquarters were right there in my city Montreal Canada and he was like I think we need to mobilize people here in the city to be going to their offices and just to be protesting raising awareness and I was sort of out of work at the time it was COVID and I didn't really have much to do and I was like well I can do something And so I did a bit of research myself and I started these weekly protests where I would sort of cut on social media, the time, the place. It's changed a lot since the original time and day, but we used to go once a week for two hours and stand with homemade signs and just try to not only tell MindGeek what we knew that they were doing inside and hopefully engage with some of the workers, but also out to the street because they're on a highway, on a main, really busy road. Can I just ask an origin story question? Because do you have a history of protesting before? Is this something that's really native? Okay. I have never protested in my life. (laughs) Why did this seem like the way to confront them? Why did this make sense to you? Yeah, I think it was the only thing I knew how to do. I am not a protester before. I'm not like a social justice warrior or someone who does this as a job. I didn't have any work and I was waiting to start my studies. And I was like, I know that I can be a physical body, a physical presence on the street, kind of right on the front lines, trying to be a voice for the voiceless. So it was the only way that I knew that was physical and practical and tangible rather than just being behind a computer and writing a comment or donating some money or something like that. It was sort of the only way I knew how to be involved. That's a great pointer though. If you don't know exactly what to do, you do the best thing that you can do, right? And that's something, (laughs) the highest form of something that you can produce. Because you're dealing with the stakes that I understand are, you understand that probably the biggest conglomerate of entities for porn is in your neighborhood and you're going to go and get a few people and take some signs. And from one perspective, it's pathetic. And from another perspective, it's something substantial. There's something happening. Everything starts from somewhere. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of people can get stuck in their head is that, oh, I'm so little, or you think about how massive they are. And then you look at the number of people and you want millions of people and there's just a few people, but that's how a lot of movements don't get started just because they don't get started because people get stuck in their head. 
I commend you for doing that. You know, that's a big deal. And so you were hitting the streets in the middle of a pandemic and you were trying to spread awareness and also intimidate the bullies a little bit by saying, we know who you are kind of thing. Yeah, but I I was the one that actually felt super intimidated. I think <laughs> it's so much easier to like do all these, this work when you don't actually go to a company and see the workers coming in and out uh-huh. and have to kind of have that real face-to-face experience. I was so scared. I was so thankful that it was COVID and we had to wear masks. If you had to protest, you had to wear masks. I could sort of like hide behind that. But I was terrified, especially as a woman, knowing that I sort of had learned a bit about the CEOs and that they were all these men and all the workers coming in and out that I was encountering were men. And just that first day, I went with people. I didn't want to be there alone. It was very imposing. The building is totally glass one-way glass so it's like all this green glass it's a very intimidating building and the first kind of interactions that we had and really the only ones because after that the workers kind of we never really saw the workers again but they were sort of looking at us and snaring thinking like these people are just crazy and weird so that in itself was was very intimidating but there is something very bold and it's very visceral and it's, it's literally like being on the front lines to actually go to a place that you disagree with, that you're fighting against and stand there in front of that giant and face it. Yeah. And to be honest, I've been by that building before and I was kind of like, huh, <laughs> it's like a multi-billion dollar massive machine, right? And you see this building, you're like, that's the headquarters? It's really mm-hmm. unassuming. It's not phallic. It's not clearly like this terrible epicenter of hatred. It's just this block of glass. Mm -hmm. And nobody would guess in a million years that that's the headquarters of this giant monster. So They don't have any signing. And apparently they used to, but they took it down. And to me, that was like, ooh, you don't really want people to know what's going on. Yeah. In terms of power structures, there's this perpetual sense that we all get as citizens, as just normal people, that there are these big mechanisms, these arms of power that are completely out of our realm of control. We can't influence them. They influence us. They're the Mm -hmm. ones that tell us what to do. It's very easy to fall into that interplay of thought. But what you were talking about in the beginning is that you're going to encroach upon their territory and start to, in a way, intimidate them just to let them know that people are awake and watching. That's a bold and it's a really smart move, but one that takes a lot of moxie, obviously, and one that also, as the leader, I'm guessing require a lot of daily maintenance because Mm -hmm. now you're on the front line of this battle, like you said, and it's easy to get into your head. It's easy for them to get into your head. It's easy for media or whatever to get into your head. So that was a year ago, two years ago? That was two years ago now. Yeah, 2020. Two years ago. In the time, and we'll get back to the chronology of it, in this two years, has that played into the situation that you're just you and you know you, you're very familiar with you. It's just little old me, right? Versus this giant machine. Do you ever get into your head and say, oh, this is futile? Or do you have those moments of extreme doubt? 100%. (laughs) Yeah. And especially because change in this area is very slow. We have seen credible moves forward, but it's very slow. And they're still running, right? They're still up and running and they're still 
lots of issues. But yeah, it's really hard to sometimes feel like you're the only one who cares when you're trying to rally people and people promise that they'll come. Or one of the things that I always find really frustrating is when people say, oh, you're doing incredible work. (laughs) It's so amazing. And we really support you. I wish that I could do something like that. Well, you could if you want to. Like, I'm just, as you said, like little old me. I haven't had any experience doing this. And it's just something that I felt like maybe I could do. Or there was a gap and someone needed to step in and, and fill in those shoes. And so I see a lot this gap between people wanting change and wanting to help and then lacking that actual motivation. And the protest is a very good way to separate those people like who's willing just to declare it and say it in words and who's ready to take action Mm. and to turn up can we go back a little bit because you had a conversation with a friend and then Mm -hmm. he told you something about this organization about mind geek that changed something inside of you it started a fire inside of you so what was it that you learned in that conversation because just to be clear we haven't even like named that yeah. he who must not be named yet, but MindGeek is the owner of Pornhub as well as many other websites. But Pornhub mm-hmm. is this huge, from what I heard, it's the biggest porn website in the world. Yeah, one of them, at least one, one of, of them. them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's probably one of the most popular, like people know the name very well. Okay. Well yeah. branded. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn in that conversation that you did not know that was so egregious that it caused you to do something like Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm glad we've circled back to this. I guess I always assumed that pornography sites contained videos that were done by actors, that people had consented to act in a clip, in a film. And what I learned in that conversation was that Pornhub is a bit like YouTube for pornography, that at the time they've sort of changed their sense, but anybody could upload a video without really having to go through any types of steps to verify if people had consented. They could literally upload a video that they'd taken on their phone, on their computer. And so what was occurring was so many videos that people had taken of rapes, that people had taken spy cam footage and uploaded that. There was so much content that was non-consensual and that was abuse, that was a violence. And so particularly what was really heart-wrenching is that these young women were coming out saying that they had found out through friends or family members who had stumbled across a video online of their own rape, of their own sexual assault that had turned up on this platform and it had changed their life forever. That one girl was on the streets now because she couldn't get her life back together because she had to drop out of school because of the shame. And that a lot of these girls were underage and they had written to Pornhub again and again and again saying, I have not consented to this. I am underage. Please take this video down. And Pornhub would either not respond or they would take it down for a bit and then it would come back up on the site. And so a lot of these stories were girls saying, I had to pretend to be my mom. I had to pretend to be a lawyer and threaten them to take it down. Still, they didn't or they finally took it down, but it would come back again. So what was so shocking was that this company, these people in this company were allowing videos of underage people or just any person 
they hadn't consented, that they didn't want their videos to be there and they were not respecting the dignity of that individual and taking it down when it was asked, that they were profiting from the pain and the trauma in the past of these people. Yeah, that makes sense. I can understand that. And so that was enough for you to hear in order to want to do something about it. Then you started these protests. This was two years ago. What has been the evolution of what you've been doing? So it started, so social media and then live protests. What Mm -hmm. has occurred in the past two years in terms of, I guess, how you approach this and also what has been the impact? Well, shortly after I started the protests, more and more kind of stories started coming out. It it was kind of like I entered at a really good time when things were starting to explode. So a particular story was published in the New York Times. I'm not sure if you read it. Yeah, Yeah. Children of Pornhub, which highlighted a particular girl's story. And so already we sort of came into the scene and things were started they were in the works. So I was able to connect with many different people, including Pierre and other people that were actually in the sexual exploitation awareness sort of organizations that had been working on this for many, many years in many different aspects. And we joined together and we created this group called Canadians for Action. There was three of us at the time, three women. And we started thinking, how can we hit Pornhub? How can we hit MindGeek in peripheral ways to take down this company and so we decided that we wanted to approach visa and mastercard who process payments for Pornhub, and let them know what was happening let them know what they were supporting and ask them to stop processing payments and so we drafted letters and we asked about 40 different organizations to sign off on it and we sent those in emails to the ceos of visa and mastercard and I think some other also organizations in the UK did the same thing. And around November, December of 2020, they issued statements actually saying that they had suspended their relationship with Pornhub, which was a huge win for us. I know MindGeek were in total shambles about, because they have a subscription service, right? About how they were going to take money and all this kind of stuff. That came into public attention a lot this withdrawal of user and and MasterCard. So that's one big thing. As a reaction to that, Pornhub or MindGeek were like, we're going to totally revamp our site and we're going to take down many of these videos, these non-consensual videos. And so they did a huge purging of their website. So many videos were taken down, including the option to download. So they used to have a download button. People can save these videos onto their hard drives. So they took that away. So there were huge steps that they took. We still don't believe it was enough. You could still type in different titles like young girl or minor and and the videos would still surface, even if they weren't directly related to that. They were still using these kind of keywords to get people on the site. And again, there's still this huge problem of how they monitor their videos. They say they have a team of human moderators that watch every single video that comes online. Good guess. But we have a huge issue with that because it's really hard to judge someone's age by looking at them, by looking at a video. It's really hard for me to judge someone's age just by looking, let alone on a video where there could be darker lighting, people could be wearing makeup, you just don't know. And so they say that they use this process to verify age. 
but we still believe huge work needs to be done on age verification, making sure that everybody in the video of age, but also we're really working towards as well with different legislators in Canada that are working towards this of protecting people on the other side of the screen, people that are able to watch these videos and making sure that they are of age too. People may know that as young as 9, 10, 11, it's like a normal age to be, yeah, viewing pornography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. So you started to formalize your efforts from protests on the streets to collaborations and mm -hmm. working with big companies. You gave them warning shots. Did they get their status back with Visa and MasterCard after they went legitimate? Yeah, so MasterCard never did go back, so they permanently did, which is amazing. Visa was still processing advertising. I think Pornhub could still use Visa to pay for or process advertising. And so literally in September this year, Visa finally stopped that. The CEO finally came out and stopped that. So that was incredible. That was a huge move. That's great. And so how are they able to still make money? Because who uses American Express? All credit cards mm -hmm. transactions are through Visa MasterCard. Is PayPal still working with them or? PayPal before Visa and MasterCard um, pulled out, I think they have their own I see. Payment thing as well. Yeah. Third party. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not sure all the nitty gritty details of that. Sure. I just know these big companies decided to make that stand and to pull out. But I just want to highlight another big win for us who are fighting against this. Back in September, Instagram actually shut down Pornhub's oh, yeah, yeah. Pro uh, profile permanently. So they have over 13 million users on Instagram and it was taken down, which was really amazing to see. Yeah, it's nice to hear that they're shutting down the right accounts. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So there's a trickle effect. That's, that's very commendable how much of an impact you've had. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. So are you slowing down at all? Or are you like, okay, now we can rest on our laurels and we've done enough. Now let's go to sleep for the rest of our lives. Or... No, no. I'm like in a funny position now where I'm like, what is the next step? I'm studying and I've also have life has gotten busier for me. And so things have also just slowed down and we're still waiting on decisions and legislation and lawsuits and stuff. So I now lead this protest once a month. So the third Saturday of every month at 10 a.m., we're still there in front of Nine Geek. But it is a hard thing of when do we stop and what's the next iteration of this? Because it's been going on for two years. It's sort of there is the sense of slowing down of momentum. So it's a question that I definitely ask myself a lot. Yeah. When is the movement over or when is it time to evolve into something else? That's a, what happened to the civil rights movement? When did it stop? Or did it stop? I don't know. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good point. I wanted to touch on a different topic. Mm -hmm. That is faith and social yeah. justice. Okay. 
And how did that play in to what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, everything that I do is influenced by my faith. I'm a Christian. And I think the things that really touch my heart are these fundamental questions of human dignity, of believing that we are all children of God. And so we all have the right to be respected and protected. You know, when that friend was telling me the story, that huge impetus for wanting to take action was something isn't right. There's this injustice, there's this distortion of what should be a beautiful thing, which is sex and women and males, us as, as like how God has created us and what that should look like. I mean, whatever you think about pornography, okay, that's an issue that many people have different ideas and views on. But believing that children are not being protected, that the vulnerable are not being protected in this way was something that really, really struck me. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a big differentiator between those who truly do feel that we are all one body, the body of mm -hmm. Christ versus a bunch of individuals is this inextricable connection between you and others that injustice for them is injustice for you. That's kind of like a non-negotiable. If you truly feel that and experience that, then it's not like something you can turn off. Well, some people, they can just rot. You feel for everybody. And that's very cool. And so did that drive you like in those dark moments when things were not panning out the way that you wanted to? Did you lean on your faith during those times? Yeah, definitely. I think in something like this where the giant seems so big and you seem like such a small pebble in the ocean of change, something that kept me going was the belief that God is sovereign and God is taking care of this. And I just get to be a little collaborator in this. But it is so much bigger than I am. And at the end of the day, every progress that we make is from God. He's allowed us to join with him in this. Also, the things that are not happening in the timing that we want, in the way we want, is God is in control and his timing is perfect. And so having faith that things might not go the pace I want to, but he is still working. And then having my church community and people praying around me, supporting me, my church backing this, and people coming out to stand with me has been such a huge source of comfort. And I think it's been a struggle in Quebec, in such a secular province, and knowing how much of my faith to disclose. Yeah. Yeah. And very early on, we decided that we would brand ourselves as non-religious, as non-partisan. And that was a really strategic way because we knew that attaching a faith to it would immediately alienate and push a large people that we needed the support away. Um, yeah. And we see that in the States, in the United States, with Trafficking Hub and Exodus Cry, the campaign is Trafficking Hub, and that people, media knew that they were an evangelical organization and really um, just vilified them. And every single argument that has ever come out against what they do is like, oh, well, they're just Christian right-wing <laughs> fanaticals, yeah. they're sure. neo-Nazis, and therefore we should put everything that they support out of the window and just yeah. chuck it out. And we didn't want that to happen here in Quebec. And there is a real danger that that could happen because of the history with religion here. Yeah. I was born and raised in Toronto, and okay. I cannot bring up anything about God when I go home. 
Quebec and Montreal in particular is a very sexual place too. There's so many like strip clubs. There's so much heavy, dark sexual stuff going on out there. So you're kind of this little gem in the midst of all that trying to fight. And so has this amplified or helped your faith? Has it grown your faith more battling this on the front line? Have you seen how God works more clearly or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's so incredible to see the way that God just takes like a mustard seed of an idea and grows it and puts the right people around you to support you and to help it grow. Like I literally didn't know anything when I first started and the amount of people that have come into my life and the connections that I've made to not only teach me, to educate me, to have the ability to share with other people has been so incredible. And it's been tests of faith a lot of times when when I haven't known what the next move is or feel like people aren't turning up and things are just like, okay, God, that's when it starts to be about me and in my power and my strength. That's when I have to get, okay, God, this is becoming not about you anymore. How can I let that go and trust you and realize that even if I do nothing, your plans will still go ahead. You'll just use different people. It's quite humbling. It is. I like that approach to that. If it's too much about your plans and your ideas and you pushing, are you choking out God's ability to actually work in the situation? I like that. Yeah. And, and then when like good things happen, you're like, oh, it's me. You know, and you <laughs> give yourself a pat on the shoulder, but really like <laughs> yeah. you just play a very small part in it. I also, when I was looking at your Facebook page, I noticed that you're speaking in a mosque and it seems oh. like this has been very interfaith. Has this been a unifying force for you like using this topic to speak to people you might not normally or to get into places you might not normally go yeah this is why i say no matter your view on pornography because i know that people have so many different views and you ultimately can't really you can show people and you can try to make them understand but you can't really change their viewpoint something that you can always come back down to is like protecting children and that everybody has the right to content is available for other people to consume about themselves. It's allowed me to speak to, I'm at Concordia University, it's allowed me to go into different organizations and kind of be like, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. Are you able to promote this? It's allowed a friend of mine who is a really faithful protester with me, who is Muslim actually, to speak to his professors and to do his PhD on age verification. It's allowed us to reach so many secular people as well. But yeah, just on my relationship with him, he's Muslim and he's such a big part of the organization. And It's so important for us as humans to find points that we all agree of, irrespective of our religion, our views, our whatever, our backgrounds. And this is an issue of humanity, of what it means to be human. And we can all find agreement on that, no matter our views on other things and so it has allowed me to go into one of the mosques in Montreal and to be able to share this and get their support and talk to people from all walks of life yeah what has that taught you in this process of working with people that you wouldn't maybe run towards normally if they're not like your go-to people but now they're (laughs) your allies what have you learned about humanity or about maybe other faiths or has it expanded Mm -hmm. your worldview at all 
I think I've always been someone that's been surrounded by different faiths and different kinds of people. So it feels very natural that it's not about faith to me. It's about being human, protecting each other. So it hasn't necessarily taught me that because I feel like I already had that coming into this experience, but it's re-strengthened my faith in humanity and that when things come down to the end of the line, we can put aside our differences to unite against a cause that hopefully we all agree on. Like, I hope that we can all agree on this issue of children or minors or the kind of voiceless need to be protected. Yeah, it's one of the last few bastions of agreement that our society still has because there's been definitely a moral decline since we've been so brainwashed with a lot of imagery of violence and stuff like that. Our expectations mm-hmm. have been lowered, but at least... There is now an aggressive campaign to sexualize children, but at the same time, most normal citizens, healthy, well-adjusted people who aren't living fully out of trauma can agree that children deserve to be protected. But even that line has been pushed back too far. 100%. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I've learned so many shocking things (laughs) the last year. I feel like we've really accelerated and big changes in sexuality and stuff over the last even year I could even go back and say rather than like human and what it means to be human even that word is beginning to be lessened it's like what it means to be a person human and person are now being separated I don't know if you know about the personhood theory you should look into it it's fascinating there's a difference between being a person and being a human and human is like just it's matter, it's a biological term that we're all humans, yes, but there's type of, there's um something we have to strive towards, whether that's consciousness or becoming self-aware, growing into personhood. So to me, it's shocking that those two are separated, but that gives a lot of justification for things like abortion, assisted suicide and things like this. Yes, they're human, but they're not a person anymore. Wow. I hope that we can... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you make those connections. <laughs> well, it's, it's just like, amazing what you can do with words. Now, yeah, like, let's 100%. just redefine this so I can now feel okay with myself murdering you, old yep. man. Yeah, I hope well, we this... can all agree on protecting the person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people who listen to this, we have actually a lot of different ages represented. And so I would love if we could just take a few moments to first address parents and then address the young people who are in it. Because personally, I deal with a lot of people on a one-to-one basis, mostly guys. I usually defer women to our women staff members. But when you're in the thick of a porn addiction, your conscience gets so foggy and confused and flipped upside down that a part of you knows still always, regardless of all this, that something is inherently wrong. But you don't always have access to the requisite amount of emotions to actually implement feelings, caring about it. You know, like, I shouldn't be watching this, but you still do because I just can't care enough because my apathy has outgrown my conscience. In this arm wrestling, it's way stronger at this point because I've been feeding it with porn. And so for parents, what would you like all parents to understand about What's happening in the world of MindGeek and Pornhub and all that? 
if there's like button that you could press and now this thought is implanted in all of parents' heads, what would that thought be that you wish that they could all knew so we could all move on faster? Wow. Starting with parents. Okay, this might sound quite drastic, but I think for them to realize this literally could be your child, that your child could have a situation where they are abused. Something terrible happens to them and that person chooses to film it. I mean, this is what has happened with these stories. It could be your child. That's very pointed and very perfect. What about the young people who are, they want to get out of porn, they're dabbling with it, they know it's wrong, they can't quite identify the true nature of what's wrong with it. Let's just go with your experience in Pornhub in particular. Is there something that you can tell them that will help to inspire them to really make the clean sweep and get it out of their life? I think what's really striking for me is how little the CEOs and the runners of MindGeek care about the lives of the people viewing. They are so kind of cocky. I, I saw this interview and they were like, our subscription, our viewers have gone up 200% and blah, blah, blah. They were so proud of that. Do you want to be one of those subscribers, those viewers? Do you want to be another one of those numbers that is stripping people of their dignity and that is conforming to the rest of society and saying this is okay would you want to be one of those people that stand up and say no this is not okay and i don't want to be part of this giant because it is you're like one of the people feeding the giant do you want to continue feeding the giant or do you want to cut it off cut its head off <laughs> i like it <laughs> that will definitely resonate with the guys that i know and like macho analogies so it's a great analogy i guess to understand this beast that we're feeding we think that we're a slave to it and we therefore have to feed it because it's so much bigger than us and you've proven that one person who's filled with a desire to want change to happen who's willing to go through the steps of change can make serious change happen to a giant conglomerate that is still even the government i've been following up here and there and listening to the policy changes that are being attempted and how long and grueling and ridiculous the political system is in order to make change. But you forming a coalition, finding some allies to sign off on this deal can change how Visa and MasterCard experience. Like that's incredible. So for anybody listening to understand that absolutely in the mix of all this porn, there's consent and then there's non-consent. And you have no idea which is which because they haven't done any of the due diligence to figure out and to delineate between non-consensual and consensual. Statistically impossible that you haven't seen somebody be raped in all the porn that you're watching, whether it's just overt or whether it's just coercion, like strong coercion yeah. through drugs or manipulation. whatever. Manipulation. It's absolutely impossible. And so it's like in food, okay, I'm going to grab eating blueberries and one of them is going to be a little rabbit piece of poo. Are you going to take that chance? <laughs> Do you really want it? So I think we're just all so numb because of the weight of the world that it's just so hard to care about other people. But in reality, you and I were talking about the value of a person is the same value as all of the universe. As a child of God, you have the same value of God in a sense because you are of that entity. So the image of, of God, yeah. Exactly. So 
whatever you can do to strengthen your conscience will be a great thing. And anything that you can do to weaken your apathy is a good thing. And so, yeah, thank you so much, Rafaela, for yeah, all yeah. that you I just want to leave done. with one image, which is like Goliath. And I see Mind Geek as like Goliath. And there's all these ropes that are kind of like pulling this Goliath or this beast like down. And we're all the different ropes, all the different people. It's going to take all of us together at all stages, legislation, government, us protesting, people donating, people talking. It takes all of these ropes to bring this beast down. And we don't know which is going to be the thing or the, or the stone that, that finally brings down the beast, but we all need to play our part in whatever way we can. I really like it. Yes. So get your stones, everybody. Start chucking them. <laughs> All uh, you need is a little stone in a slingshot. <laughs> Doesn't take you should much. <laughs> literally test that out at the Mind Geek building and see what happens. Bring see your stones. It breaks a glass. <laughs> yeah. It's a glass building. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rafaela. I definitely want to check up on you and see because you said you're at this kind of turning point. You're not exactly sure where this is going to take you. And so we want to check up on you in a while i don't know how long but to see where this is because this is such somehow it's so weird but these days canada is churning out the strength in terms of like making it an international news there's like gabber mate jordan peterson pierre trudeau and mind geek and like all these it's not like like yeah. you know and so somehow this responsibility has fallen the epicenter of it is in montreal yeah, we want to support you in any way we can. So, okay, I guess that's the official hard out of this podcast is how can people follow you? How can they support you or anything like that? Yeah, well, if you live in the Montreal area, if you want to come down one weekend, we protest the third Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an hour. We have signs and everything so that you don't need to worry about that. We also have a Facebook page, Twitter or a website. The website is stopexploitationhub.com. The Facebook is Arrete Exploitation Hub. Just let us know how you feel and if you want to come and join us or what your views are. We're always ready to chat to pass you on to more resources. We will put those in the show notes. Thank you again, Rafaela. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people, okay? If you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity 
as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there. Thank you.